News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn, here with Professor Christina Greer, visiting the Bay Area. Hello. Hello there. And Alex Brooklyn in Manhattan. Greetings. Greetings. So, there's a lot of stuff happening. As ever in New York this week, uh, Bill de Blasio is trying to uh, push unsheltered New Yorkers out of the hotels they've been staying in and uh, back into uh, shelters, even as the Delta variant is spreading here. Boo. And also is, maybe yay, introducing a sort of vaccine mandate for people who want to dine inside and do other basic activities here. There's a new key to NYC pass you can use along with the Excelsior pass for that. Uh, Assuming you can find all your vaccination information somewhere, I guess. Uh, Mine is in a card I think is somewhere in my office. I'm not sure. But it's hard to focus on any of that right now after Attorney General Tish James put out a long-awaited report on Andrew Cuomo. That dropped like a bomb on Tuesday morning. Is it backed up what many of these women, there's 11 in her report, have already been telling us about the three-term governor who passed new sexual harassment laws at the same time he was sexually harassing his own staff? James's report hit different. Cuomo's friends in labor are gone. So far, the AFL-CIO, Hotel Trades, 32NJ, TWU, and DC-37 have all said he should go. The Albany, Westchester, and Manhattan district attorneys are all asking for materials from the Attorney General's probe to pursue possible criminal charges. New York City's full congressional delegation says he's got to go. Nearly every prominent Democrat in the city, including Mayor Bill de Blasio and presumptive Mayor Eric Adams, the leaders of the state Senate and the state assembly, where impeachment just went from a back burner to the main dish, his own lieutenant governor, the Democratic governors in neighboring states, Cuomo's old friend, President Joe Biden. Maris just came out with the poll on Wednesday. Just 29% of voters say Cuomo should serve out his term. And even 52% of Democrats say he's got to step down. And so, the guy who just two years ago roared that I am the left has been left all alone. Just a guy in a pathetic video, not taking questions, showing a slideshow of him hugging other famous people while talking about how he's always meant well and is sad now to have been misunderstood by all these women. Just a year ago, Cuomo was on his way to an Emmy nomination for his heroic virus briefings and seemed to be politically untouchable. And in a bit, we're going to have Pythagia Public Affairs founder and Nation columnist, not to mention return FAQ NYC guest Alexis Grinnell on to discuss all this. Uh, But in the meantime... Chrissy, look, this guy seemed politically untouchable not very long ago. What changed and and what's going to be happening now? So, you know, Harry, I maybe I'm the last one on this Titanic, but I still don't think Cuomo's down forever. I mean, hey, Walter, um, I think that we've seen the governor Northam of Virginia not step aside, and Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax of Virginia, not step aside. We've got a model of Democrats who are just like, I'm going to ride it out, even after evidence. When everyone's clamoring for Andrew Cuomo to resign, you know, months ago when the 11 women accused him, and, and I understand, you know, there was due process that needed to happen. He didn't resign then when everyone called for him to do so. This is slightly different where the attorney general has now said, I have investigated this on behalf of not just these 11 women, but the citizens of New York state, where I'm sworn to uphold uh, the rights uh, of these citizens for the state. And Tish James has found that Andrew Cuomo uh, did the things that he was accused of doing. This makes it slightly different because now we're into territory where the law has now corroborated these stories. But I still don't see him leaving. One, where does he go, right? Andrew Cuomo was raised in captivity. He has been in Albany since he was 19 years old. What does he do? We know that his national prospects are over. We know that possibly his fourth term reelection effort is over. Um, (laughs) 
insert Governor de Blasio. (laughs) But I do think that Andrew Cuomo still recognizes that he has friends and allies in different places. One, we have to be really realistic about the fact that we think that these actions are abhorrent and inexcusable. But we know that there are quite a few people who think that the Me Too movement has, quote unquote, gone too far. They think that these women are just being too sensitive. They think that, you know, it's a witch hunt, which Andrew Cuomo keeps repeating. Um, You know, it's cultural. He's just a, a lovey, touchy person, as the montage showed. And so we have to also remember that when we're analyzing this, we can't be in a bubble where we think that this is egregious, where we have to remember that there's still a lot of folks who in the in the spectrum of, hey, how you doing to forcible rape? This is somewhere on that spectrum. And a lot of folks are like, well, I mean, he didn't really do anything. It's like, well, just because that's the way business has been done in the past, and just because sadly women have had to deal with this in the workplace, present company included, my entire career, uh, there are a lot of men and women who don't really think it's that bad. It's sort of like, you know, buck up, buckaroo, and, you know, get your work done. Where there are other folks who are just like, it's high time where women can go to to the workplace and not have to deal with comments about how they look or insinuations of how they would be in bed or whatever it may be. Um, And so I think that, Harry, we're still in this moment of wait and see. I know it seems like he's down for the count, but I think he still has a lot of colleagues in the Senate and the House, maybe they're quiet right now, who quietly think that this is a bridge too far. I think that also Andrew Cuomo, in his bullying style, is has probably kept several chips in his back pocket to use for this very moment to remind people why they need to remain on his good side and friends, because maybe some folks have things from their past that they have forgotten about or want to forget about that Andrew Cuomo will, rem- will help them remember in his time of need. And then also we know that, you know, uh, he may circle back to the Black community, and that may be a divided community as well of electeds. Some who see this as a strategic opportunity to get more from the governor and others who think that, you know, to be on the right side of history, they need to distance themselves from an old friend, uh, many of whom were friends with his dad. So I think that's where we are. And I can't call it, but my gut says he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave Albany unless he is dragged out kicking and screaming. I have a question for both you and Harry, knowing the political landscape. We have Lindsay Boylan, who originally came forward with uh, accusations of sexual harassment. Um, and that got her a lot of ire um, from the, you know, Cuomo loyalists. Uh, and you don't really have a lot of the women coming forward until basically, you know, male legislators, Ron Kim, put a stop to and started speaking out, not just about the sexual, not about the sexual harassment at all, but about the like harassment and the bullying and the workplace stuff. So how does that kind of, for the people who think that this is sort of a Me Too witch hunt, how does that kind of affect that conversation? Or have people completely forgotten? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say it's fascinating to me how timing works. Because we know how sometimes an incident comes and it's barely a story. And then other times it it comes up and it, it catches like wildfire. I do think it's also interesting that Ron Kim who identifies as, as male is, is kind of the person who was able to kind of light this catalytic match, so to speak, where woman after woman came forward and it was a story, but it never really took off as far as like a, a deeper dive until Ron Kim says something. Um, and so I think that we have to remember those, the gender aspects of it. I think also underneath your question, Alex, for me is, how women help uphold patriarchy. So the same way Ron Kim has advanced this conversation for the 11 accusers, I think people like, I'm not, certain men who have predatory tendencies oftentimes surround themselves with women or start, you know, female parties um, or, you know, say that they are, you know, the friends of women because it sort of throws people off the scent. So. With Andrew Cuomo for so many years, I mean, we know that the the Women's Party that he started with the assistance of Chris Quinn, who has now turned against him, 
Um, we know that that was just in response to Zephyr and then ultimately uh, to, to the accusations. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see the, the women who have worked for Andrew Cuomo for so many years, who have kind of aided and abetted this bad behavior as well, which is kind of part of the playbook of men who, who do this type of thing. And this is why I'm so curious to see who stands by Andrew Cuomo, because there are so many men who exhibit the same exact behavior and either don't think that there's anything wrong with it or a little nervous right now because they know that their time may be coming as well in the woodshed. Yeah, I mean, I'll say I wonder where, how Melissa DeRosa's career is going to go after this. Well, we know that women always get thrown under the bus even more so than men. So, like, yes, if, if she did indeed aid and abet this bad behavior, she needs to be uh, properly punished for that. However, we've seen that women oftentimes get the bulk of the ire that should be directed at the man who actually did the, the deed. But it's this reverse. I mean, we saw it, you know, the last month with Felicia Rashad sticking up for Bill Cosby. She got more ire than Bill Cosby. Like, you know, yeah, she, she deserved the ire that she got. However, I thought that hers was disproportionate to the person who was actually accused. So it'll be interesting to see how people aim the fire at Melissa De DeRosa. Or how, if they, if she takes it completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, both Cuomo and DeRosa, to tie some of this together, a lot of Tish James's report uh, are about the ways in which these women who'd accused Cuomo of things were really discouraged from coming forward or pursuing complaints or doing anything like that. And Melissa DeRosa, who's one of Cuomo's mean girls, his phrase for the women around him in positions of senior leadership, one DeRosa said she really didn't like, helped keep those other women from getting in positions where their complaints were going to be heard and amplified in an environment categorized by, by fear for a lot of workers there, sometimes gender-oriented, often otherwise. Uh, at one point, while the Albany Times Union was working on a story about this trooper that never came out, we'll come right back to that, we just learned about from Tish James' report, this trooper who was a uh, woman who Cuomo at least found attractive, who'd been state trooper for a couple of years, he meets her at an event, and the next day he says, I want her on my protective detail. And it turns out you have to be a trooper for at least three years to get that assignment, which is a, a pretty prestigious one and considered a thing up. And basically Cuomo changes the rule to get her in. He explains in this report he did that because he was very concerned about diversity uh, amongst the state troopers. Okay. Anyways, the Times Union is working on a story about this trooper, and DeRosa has a screaming match uh, with uh, Casey Seller, who's an editor there. Um, and she says, you guys are trying to reduce her hiring to being about looks. That's what men do. And uh, the Times Union ends up not running that story. We know from James's report, in fact, that it looks very much like this woman who Cuomo then touched inappropriately while she was working, came on to, asked her why she wouldn't wear dresses, uh, wanted to talk about her personal life, which is a real steady theme here. And Cuomo keeps saying, I was trying to ask about your personal life and how, you know, you have less sex when you're married and so on, because I was personally concerned with you, not because I was coming on to you. Which, I mean, this is a family podcast, but give me a fucking break. I know so many people who are concerned about my marital sex life who don't just want, like, who are guys I barely know or bosses of mine. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a thing. I mm -hmm. mean, I have male friends that occasionally, you know, we shoot the breeze about what it's like a married life. But, like, a boss ne doesn't need to be concerned with my sex life and my marriage. It seemed to come up a lot with Cuomo. And with Cuomo, occasionally with DeRosa, is in that exchange. The refrain was always, and this came up also in his weird, sad video you pre-recorded, he put out as a response to the report. It's always, I just care about these women. I care about these issues. I'm the real feminist here. And I'm sorry if any of these ladies, you know, misunderstood. Which, hmm. Can we play a clip of the weird, sad video here? I am 63 years old. I've lived my entire adult life in public view. I do it with everyone. Black and white young and old, straight and LGBTQ, 
powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. And so now we've got Alexis Grinnell, who is joining us. And so uh, Alexis has been writing about Andrew Cuomo and has formed the Sexual Harassment Working Group, which she'll talk a lot more about, uh, has been a friend and a guest of FAQ. Uh, and it should be noted that early in Alexis's career, she worked for Andrew Cuomo uh, and has since written extensively in multiple outlets uh, about uh, the governor and the culture that he has created. Uh, So thank you so much, Alexis, for joining us again on FAQ NYC. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So I'm going to duck out and and Harry and Alex are going to to sort of sift through some of the great writing that you've put out there, especially in the nation these past few uh, months, years, uh, and and talk a lot more about the work that you and so many elected officials have done uh, to really highlight Uh, not just Andrew Cuomo, but the culture that Andrew Cuomo has created and sustained on so many levels. Hey, Alexis. Welcome. Christina, bye. Enjoy the West Coast. The wrong coast, but it's nice there. All right, gang. Bye. So your new piece is The Case Against Cuomo and Those Who Enabled Him. And it starts out 74,000 documents, 200 interviews, 168 pages, and five months after the attorney general launched its investigation into Cuomo. The report confirmed what nearly a dozen women told us from the start. Cuomo is hot garbage. So can you talk about that, about Cuomo, about the corner he's in now, and about all the folks in Cuomo land and outside of Cuomo land, looking at you, time's up, uh, who, uh, who helped. Keep him from getting into the uh, so deep into the shit up until this point. Sure. So I, I want to um, zoom out for a second because, you know, what's what's going to happen now politically and like what legally should happen now are sort of different. What's meaningful about this moment and, and part of what I implied in the lead there is that literally every public complaint that we received from December to April um, through actually very meticulous and careful reporting, was simply verified by the attorney general. Basically, they said, yep, all the facts that they provided were true, um, and uh, we, uh, we believe them. Um, and Andrew Cuomo, you know, never isn't provide, has, has not met the weight of the evidence in any meaningful way. I read, I've read through about 150 pages of this 168-page report last night before I had to put it down and start writing um, and what's really amazing about it is essentially it's just these independent investigators looking at each case, laying out the facts and then being like, yeah, all these women provided consistent corroborating evidence and stories and outcry witnesses. And we found physical witnesses to the events and audio tapes and all this stuff. Uh, and Andrew Cuomo sat there and just denied it and tried to bullshit us for 11 hours. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and say he's a big fat liar and we believe these women. Uh, And what I sort of go on to say in the piece is that actually all these women, when they came forward publicly, provided a lot of documentation and even witnesses to their experience publicly. And at the time, everyone's like, well, we need an investigation. And I, I even wrote, then I said, an investigation isn't going to tell us anything we don't already know. What it will do that is, of course, meaningful and important, and I do think this report is deeply meaningful, is paint this full picture with the imprimatur of law that demonstrates the way in which the governor has been fundamentally acting unlawfully in in violating the New York State human rights law that he signed, pumping his chest the whole way, surrounded by time's up and, you know, the sort of pictures he took with all these, like, you know, with, with all the right people to signal that, like, hey, it's Andrew Cuomo, your feminist knight in shining armor, when, of course, at the time, and I know this in the piece as well, you know, he wouldn't even be in the same room with the bill sponsor for all that landmark sexual harassment legislation, that person being, of course, State Senator Alessandro Biaggi. He wouldn't be in the room with her. And when you ask about enablers, if I'm time's up and the governor says, I want you at a press conference, 
And he says, but Alessandro Biaggi is not going to be there. And you have to do a separate press conference with Alessandro Biaggi, the newly elected young woman who's the chair of the ethics committee and carrying literally all your bills because the governor won't share breath with her or sh- share oxygen with her. Your job is to say, nah, we're not, we're, we're not validating this shit show. Whereas conversely, we read in the report that uh, what the president of Time's Up did was to actually read a statement Andrew Cuomo wanted to put out rebutting, we'll come back to that theme in a second, several of his accusers, and that she was one of the handful of people who said, that's a good idea, you should put that out. That's right. And the report says that almost everybody else looked at this letter that Cuomo wanted to put out, was like, ugh, this seems like a bad idea, boss, except for the head of Time's Up, And the head of Time's Up Legal Defense, Robbie Kaplan, who is also now the personal attorney representing Melissa DeRosa in this investigation into her role propping up Cuomo and stifling reports by his his victims. So the one new bit in the uh, Tish James report, which, again, is extensive, I think it's 182 pages plus three thorough appendices. It's unbelievable. Uh, is, about this, is about this trooper. And that, that's really disturbing as an abuse of power a whole number of ways. Even if you don't remember the thing where Cuomo took the trooper his daughter was dating and, like, exiled him. In this case, he found a random trooper and, like, said, you're, you're on my personal security detail now, even though you're not – actually, I haven't been in the job long enough to do that. But Cuomo then put out his own – 82-page response that you mentioned, but it's not actually 82 pages. So I want to talk about the, I think, 26 pages of text, which are then followed by 50 pages of photos of Cuomo publicly hugging and kissing people, um, other powerful Democrats doing so, like, look, Joe Biden hugs and kisses people. What's the issue here? And about 15 pages of screen grabs of old Lindsey Boylan tweets. Which, by the way, are still up on her feed. So, so the idea is they have a report, we have a report, but the, 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 the thinness of this report is remarkable. And in those 26 or so pages of text, um, it really stood out to me the extent to which Cuomo, in his paterfamilias mode and saying, I've been misunderstood by all these women, keeps going on about things that he was told in confidence. He said, I had to talk with Miss Bennett about her sex life because I knew something terrible had happened to her. I won't get into that because I'm too much of a gentleman, but hey, reporters, you might, you might just want to notice that I've left this hanging there. You know, um, one of my favorite uh, photos from that montage is of the former governor, Mario Cuomo, hugging Bella Abzug, famous feminist and congresswoman, submitted as evidence that, uh, you know, again, it's meant to be exculpatory, but of course that montage is evidence against him. It's just saying, hey, I've been wiping my face all over these people and my body for, you know, fucking decades. This is the same shit, essentially, you know, like we we heard from like the Weinsteins of the world who were like, whoops, I guess cultural norms have uh, changed and I have to catch up now. But there's no, I think, you know, I can't believe I'm going to quote Bill de Blasio on this, but there's like, I think he said it this morning, there's nothing, there's no cultural issue or culturally appropriate scenario in which you're like putting your hand up somebody's skirt or down their blouse. Like that was just always illegal and don't what Andrew Cuomo wants to do is confuse us, but it's not complicated at all. He broke the law. End of story. I actually want to go back to something that you said. What's interesting about the trooper, what hasn't come out yet in the reporting, but but in but is in the report if you read it. She did not come forward to provide her testimony to the AG's office. They found her. By talking to other people who essentially were like, oh, you should call this person. You should talk to this person. And they eventually had to subpoena her testimony. And when she finally came in to talk about her experience, she said, you know, she's scared shitless. It's part of why she's anonymous. But she's like, I I, I have to do my part, I guess, because all these other women did. And I, you know, I believe them. But she she got has essentially be dragged in there by her ear. And, and the point I want to make is not that the prosecutors acted improperly. They didn't. But that the depths to which she was in that hole. She never, this is a woman who never would have come forward unless she'd been compelled to by law. And I want to, I, I point that out as an indication of all the other people who are quietly sitting in their deep, dark holes, who never got subpoenas and we likely won't hear from. And that 
Essentially, Albany is riddled with those kind of sinkholes all over the place and women crouched in them who have stories about Cuomo that they're never going to speak out loud. And that's what's so significant about that trooper. She's the only person in the in the report who was subpoenaed. And part of what she says is one of the things the governor said to her at some point, he, he makes some harassing comment to her in front of her boss, who's head of the detail. And when they get out of the, the car, her boss texts her, quote, stays in the truck, meaning don't, don't say what he said to you outside of that space. And she says later in the report, if my own boss could witness this and be okay with it, like, what did that mean for me? So part of the reason she didn't come forward was because professionally, this idea of confidence and secrecy was drilled in so deeply. And of course, a male-dominated field, which, you know, state troopers are mostly men. And so we have, the, again, another example of that an enabling of a woman in a male-dominated space basically keeping her trap shut in even though there are wide and varied witnesses to her abuse. She had no problem producing witnesses for the prosecutors who physically in real time saw her being touched and verbally harassed. So I, I want to get to, I think, a big quick picture question, not just about what happens with, with Cuomo and if he insists on a showdown up until impeachment or indictment, uh, but about the, the culture of Albany going forward. Before we get there, though, I, I did just want to touch on sort of the, the insanity of, uh, of, of this report that I think lots of people have reported on Cuomo and been around Albany have been aware of, but is wild otherwise to, to read about. You know, at one point, the report says, in just an incredibly Trumpy moment, uh, Cuomo questioned Bennett again um, about what people were saying uh, about the size of his hands. And he just kept engaging me on this uncomfortable thing. Uh, and it became about him trying to get me to admit something uh, uh, sexually and goes on and on. But another, he's talking about, uh, he gets asked about a, uh, a woman and, uh, who he'd been involved with. And he says, it, it's very Clintonian in that sense. Um, uh, uh, oh, that woman? Uh, it, it depends on your definition of these things. And then 15 minutes in the conversation, he says, I suppose you could say she is a friend who I have uh, dated and been involved with. And, and uh, you know, Cuomo, his whole thing is just sort of exhausting the narrative into the ground. And it's a combination of threats. And Joe Prococo was the threatener for a long time, sometimes even the physical threatener until he ended up going to prison. Um, and, and, and incentives, and I have all this money to give, and I can make things good for you. And suddenly it's, it's, it's like, you know, like, like the whole front of the building is down and you can see what's actually happening inside. So to get back to the big picture, my question here really is, we, we've been through these cycles before. We've had, uh, you know, an attorney general who left because he'd been abusing women. And uh, he left because he didn't want to get prosecuted. And he wasn't prosecuted after that, by the way. That was his carrot and stick. We had a governor who left uh, because he was, he was seeing prostitutes. Uh, this governor who maybe is going to leave because he said, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just assign like uh, uh, women I'd like to sleep with to work for me and see what happens. Uh, is there any real sign of this changing going forward or is it just individual guy, individual act of a very belated accountability, you know, wash, rinse, repeat? So I actually think that the, the walls are closing in here. What's kind of amazing is that Cuomo really wouldn't have gone down had it not been a change to the law in 2019, uh, which I touch on briefly in the piece. The standard for proving sexual harassment in civil court used to be something called severe or pervasive, meaning you had to be either harassed repeatedly so that it could you know, be described as pervasive or so severely that a judge would think it was over the top. And I'd like to add that there's case law on this in which a woman who was like sitting eating a sandwich in a break room had a colleague come in and whip his dick out and that did not constitute severe or pervasive according to a judge who heard her case. So this was a highly ambiguous and hard to meet standard that in 2019 was revised 
to become to something called less well, meaning you only have to show that you were treated less well because of your gender to prove harassment. That is a huge difference. And what you see in the report and what Ann Clark, one of the prosecutors, said yesterday was specifically to cite the less well standard. She said in New York, a woman need only show that she was treated less well because of her gender. As a result, everything in the report adds up to something actionable. Had that change not been made to law in 2019, we might be staring down a very different scenario. The reason it changed was because we saw this influx. First of all, the state Senate flipped. It became primarily a a Democratic majority body. And it received this huge influx of young women who were feeling hot on me, too, who all had this sense of personal uh, and immediate injustice that they wanted to act on. And of course, you had, you know, the sexual harassment working group, which I want to correct. Chrissy said, I, I founded it. I did. I did not. I, I helped organize it. I am not technically a member. I am a supporter and, you know, I provide advice, but I'm not, I'm, that's their shtick. And I certainly didn't know enough about the law or policy to come up with the white paper they produced and then lobbied to turn into law. So I can't take any credit for that. But what they did was monumental. And am I correct that, am I correct that every member of the working group had, had their own experience with, with, with being harassed? Every member of the working group was worked in Albany, uh, in the New York State Assembly and the New York State Senate, and were, they were harassed by elected officials who they worked for and had to, you know, some variety of horrible situation in which they were stifled and stymied by the institution that was supposed to protect them under Shelley Silver. Now, my point is, though, them coming back to change the law is what laid the groundwork for Andrew Cuomo to be ensnared by it. That's a huge difference. And if that hadn't happened, this might not be where we are today. I have to plug our episode that you were actually on called Albany Sex Crime Horror Show, um, where we interview two members of the working group, uh, Leah Ebert and Erica Vladimir, and also Alexis was on that episode. And the beginning is a really telling, just chronicle where we go through year by year, name by name, the kind of um, egregious uh, actions taken by a lot of these men against these staffers. And it just, it's a good primer. So if you're listening to this episode and you want some good history, please go back and listen to that episode. We'll link in the post. Um, but it, it just, when I first heard about it, just that long lead up to, to where we are now. And of course, uh, the Senate flipping blue in 2018, people like, you know, the anti-IDC folks, uh, Alexandra Biaggi, uh, right after AOC won. So it was Alexandra Biaggi, Jessica Ramos, and Julia Salazar, who all three of them, uh, all three of these women, you know, got elected and started just punching up, you know, as soon as they, as soon as they walked in. Um, so that was, that was sort of the crux. But yeah, it, before we did that episode a couple years ago, I really didn't understand the depth to, to that particular kind of like sexual swamp up there. And that's the way to put it. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that change made a huge difference. They began punching up and now they've pulled him down basically. And I think that's a big, big deal. So Harry, to your question of like, is this just a one-off or whatever? I think we are seeing, you know, there was the fruits of a long game, which has been sort of years in the making and, you know, w- w- the examples you cited, right? Schneiderman, which, you know, was the subject of a f- really harrowing New Yorker article citing like violent domestic abuse, Spitzer sleeping with prostitutes. That's stuff that um, in any era would be problematic. Explaining what's wrong with what Andrew Cuomo did was harder in some ways. And that's why he's been able to sort of like hold on a little bit longer. And But it's because of these long-term gains and changes to the law and culture that we're actually seeing some movement that's meaningful. So right before you came on, Christina was talking a bit about that and how there's a, a lot of people still less according to this new Marist poll, but particularly, say, older women who are like, what was really so bad here? You know, you have this divorce guy. 
and he's sort of sort of feebly coming on to 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 his to his staff and rubbing people's backs and so on. Like, what's the crime? Can you talk about that for a minute? Because I, I don't I don't think that that's the right picture. I don't think Christina does, but but that is still a perspective that some New Yorkers have, and and it is harder to explain than, than what Schneiderman did or even what Spitzer did. Which, whatever your politics yeah. on, on sex work or, or prostitution, it's it's like, oh, th- th- there there is the queerly criminal hypocritical thing done. How does that work with Cuomo? Yeah. So, I mean, Christine is absolutely right. This is a, a real, um, we do see, a, it tends to be a generational issue. Not all, though, boomer women for all, at all. And I want to shout out State Senator Liz Kruger, who is like the sexual harassment OG in Albany, who before the cavalry showed up was carrying this torch all by herself, constantly speaking out and calling bullshit on bad men. So, you know, and she's a, a boomer woman. Not all boomer women, but it's a real, um, it's kind of like, it's a funny response. I, I think of it sometimes as a, as a a defense, like, well, if I'm, I manage to survive and make it this far, um, you should be able to as well. And it's a way to also absolve themselves. I think of a kind of quiet guilt, like maybe I shouldn't have taken all this, maybe, which is unreasonable because look, for a lot of these women, it was mostly like, there was no choice. They, they did what they had to do to like survive and have a career. Um, and I understand and appreciate that to an extent. Uh, but I do think there's this mixed sense of guilt about, well, Am I supposed to feel bad about how I climbed the ladder? Um, no, I'd rather feel um, empowered about my accomplishments. And so I'm going to defend the stuff I sort of had to deal with along the way. The paying of the dues kind of trope, the paying of the dues. Like a lot of women felt like I had to take some knocks coming up. I had to deal with men screaming at me more than they would scream at a, a male coworker. I had to deal with, you know, guys coming on to me and I was tough enough. To deal with that. You know, I think the idea that a lot of career women are tough enough to deal with it. Why aren't these younger women, quote unquote, tough enough to to deal with it? And I think that's like, that's not just Albany. I mean, that's that's a lot of industries I met with that uh, working uh, in my 20s and 30s in film industry and in uh, journalism when it started getting more, you know, video focused. Um, and it's it's kind of tough to be met with that when everything in these work cultures seems set to like pit women against each other and almost like have them inform on each other in ways in order to be able to have to to do their job. But I would say you can make and that's you know, I, I don't pretend to speak to, I think, women who are coming up in a different era without any of the like rights and freedoms and protections I enjoy today. But for the current women serving in the governor's office who've been covering up his crimes, they had a choice. Nobody has to go along with dehumanizing other people and abusing them. That is a choice. And most of the women making this choice who were his senior staffers are pretty privileged women in high-placed positions. And they made a deal. This is the deal. I'm going to trade on, I'm going to trade on being this man's feminist beard so that I can have the privileges and benefits that come from being proximate to power. It's a choice. How do you think they're feeling about that choice right now? I think they are feeling, I mean, I, I, I cite this in the piece, but like a few weeks ago, Miranda, you know, uh, Melissa DeRosa tweeted out a, uh, image of Miranda Priestley comparing herself to the Devil Wears Prada um, star uh, character who's, you know, loosely based on Anna Winter and this concept that, like, powerful women are just always bitches and facing a double standard. When that, that has nothing to do with her and is, by the way, like, a very tired analysis that I thought we, like, dispensed with 15 years ago. Um, uh, so I, 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 I know what I think they should be feeling, but that, that tweet indicated to me that there was certainly not a feeling of remorse just being misunderstood and and the victim of sexism which is absolutely ridiculous and in (laughs) there's no planet in which that works so shifting gears and and women for a second tish james put out this report it's thorough it's pretty brutal at the same time she says that Andrew Cuomo clearly broke the uh, the law, as you mentioned, the law that he signed. And this raises the question then, 
Should James, whose office mostly handles civil matters, have charged Cuomo with something? And should these local prosecutors who are now asking for the records from this investigation be seriously considering criminal charges? There are certain limits to what she can do here. Um, There's the civil question and the criminal question. So uh, the criminal question is what the Albany County District Attorney is looking into, who yesterday requested a number of her documents and materials for the, their own investigation. And, and Westchester now and uh, Manhattan as well, by the way. Oh, I missed that. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, so obviously meeting the criminal um, definition is a little different, um, but that has to do with uh, forcible touching, which is an Article 130 crime in the Penal Code. Uh, the, on the civil side, like I mentioned, you have to essentially just prove he treated women less well. I don't know exactly, you know, she, she's a little bit limited because she had to do this, um, get this referral to do this investigation. And I think there, this is where the limit to what she can charge is. Um, but it doesn't preclude, obviously, a private right of action by his victims. I think all of whom, with the exception of the trooper, to my knowledge, have civil attorneys who I'm sure have read through this report and are busy filing, you know, preparing their paperwork. Cuomo's report, by the way, notably, you know, these are his lawyers. They're paid out of campaign funds. No, they're paid, out of, report, they're paid out of taxpayer funds. Ah, ah. Oh, no, that no, makes no. sense because that report was on his government website, which I said, oh, my. That's right. We are, we are paying for Cuomo's four attorneys uh, because he's, of course, being investigated by four different entities for various crimes. It's not just this one. Um, real, real quick, because we haven't touched on that at all, we have the nursing home issues, including the numbers he reported to the Trump administration, uh, and the uh, book deal uh, for his I Saved Us from the Virus book that he was paid very generously for, still looming there. So there are more separate shoes to still drop here, potentially. Yeah, and one and the attorney general is investigating the potential violations of the public officer's law relating to the book, which um, I do believe she would be able to bring an action on. Um, and that's the misuse of public funds for uh, a non-governmental purpose or government ref- resources, including staff. Um, yeah, no, but I, I don't think that at all makes it okay that this grotesque um, slideshow is on the state website just because we're paying for his lawyers. In fact, um, I would argue that's potentially another abuse of the public officer's law, using state resources for your defense. And like, that should have been on its own website or somewhere. Like, it, he, he's making himself, he's like the Sun King, le ta moi. Therefore, I'm just going to use a state website to promote my own shit and propaganda to slap back against the AG's report. That strikes me as not only like just fundamentally inappropriate, but possibly another violation of the public officer's law. What did he think was going to happen? I mean, is he has he just been, as Chrissy puts it, raised in captivity so long that he just imagined himself untouchable, that if he just powered through, this would go away? I mean, and is that still a possibility? Is I it mean, still a possibility that this will, quote unquote, go away, that he won't have any serious repercussions? I think that's not a possibility for him. I think this is really a question about uh, I imagine resignation happens before impeachment because that will allow him some modicum of control to appear to be exiting the stage on his own terms versus being shoved out of the airlock. And I think that's that's the chess game now. Um, so impeachment would take about a month. So I think we are looking at what happens in the next 30 days and where the pieces move on the board. Big picture closing question here. Let's say for just a moment that, that Cuomo exits. Hochul is governor on whatever interim basis. At that point, is this long-envisioned big shift of New York to the left fully realized? Cuomo's sale for himself has always been, in effect, 
I'm the indispensable man. And if not for me, just look at these crazies who are coming and everything that's going to happen. And as you were saying, it was in part, in, in, in a sense, appeasing or trying to co-opt or get ahead of these crazies, as he would have it, that, uh, that he pushed on this uh, harassment law that, that Biagi and others were actually very involved in and said, that's mine. I did this for you, ladies. Uh, so if Cuomo exits, are his threats going to be realized? Is the political balance of power in New York ideologically going to shift? Or where does that leave the state? That's a really interesting question. Um, so I don't think it's, it's a one-to-one relationship. First and foremost, Kathy, it's not like Kathy Hochul is some big leftist. And Andrew Stewart Cousins would technically become the lieutenant governor. She's next in the line of succession. So we would then have a leadership battle in the Senate. And that's actually could get interesting. That's where the left could really grab power. And that could be actually a sight to see. The question about the larger march leftward in the state, I think, is much more ambiguous. New York State is not some lefty bastion. It's, it's, It's like actually not. It is generally Democrat. It is Democratic. We have more registered Democrats than we do Republicans. Does not mean that they are all left-leaning. In fact, many of them are very middle of the road, and that's why Andrew Cuomo has, frankly, been extremely successful. People don't fall, actually, into neat ideological buckets the way, frankly, political professionals often think of them. Narratively, people see themselves um, in a much more diffuse way um, than we understand them categorically. So, and the, and the sort of leading contenders to replace Cuomo are not leftists per se. And the question about how to build a statewide leftist winning coalition is a great question. I don't know that it's leading with the big L. Uh, and when you think of somebody, let's say like an Alessandro Biagi, let's just like entertain ourselves with that thought. Right? I'm pretty She's sure actually... Alessandro Biagi has entertained herself with that thought, by the way. She's, I mean, like, just, I just, I'm actually just pulling her out because she's a good example of somebody who's, of course, a progressive and perceived correctly as part of the, like, fabulous, you know, young women in the legislature who've pushed it left. She also represents a pretty diverse constituency that's um, half suburban from Westchester that isn't exactly what we think of as, like, a fire-spitting, you know, uh, lefty bastion. That's kind of interesting. And so the person who can straddle multiple worlds is the one who's going to be successful. I don't think running as a categorical leftist is a recipe for success. I, know she's I think got, running on I know she's got City Island in her uh in her district. Uh and that's that's uh, you know, they've got like Cadillac clubs and stuff. That's not exactly the most the fashion. To, well, and she and she's got, you know, Pelham. Westchester in her district. I'm, I mean, she's got like real suburban, high income um, voters who are very different than your city island voters in many ways. Actually, it's like that. It, I, I, I think candidates who can straddle multiple worlds are important, and obviously, winning New York City is key. And the kind of person who can win New York City uh, needs to be able to win black voters, which makes a strong case for a black candidate. Like, I don't know, somebody who currently holds statewide office and has a Brooklyn voter base. Who could that be? I would just like to note that between Tish James, Alessandra Biagi, Jumani Williams, and Tom Swazi, I believe we have 10 FAQ appearances. And that person may well be the next governor. And the governor who is greatly damaged and maybe unhappy to be governor now, uh, one Andrew Cuomo, has zero FAQ NYC appearances. So you do the math. <laughs> I mean, we just saw in the New York City Democratic mayoral campaigns, like we saw that Eric Adams went out. This is not a huge vote of like, this is not a huge signifier for the great shift left. I mean, believe me, I wish it was, but it isn't. Um, and so I think, you know, even in New York City right now, post-pandemic, our new normal, where people don't really know what's going on. We have issues with homelessness, uh, street crime. Um, everyone's trying to figure out where the funds are co- uh, funds are going to come from. Unemployment gets cut off in September. Eviction moratoriums. 
all of this is still to come. Like, we're not in recovery. We haven't even started yet because we haven't even seen the full breadth. And I think people know that. And I think that's why someone like Eric Adams ended up winning. So even statewide, where you have less lefties up there and all around town, um, than by town, I mean, you know, New York State, I, d- I don't see a great shift left coming for New York State. I wish I did, but I don't, I don't see that happening. But but I mean that in ter- I think that's true in terms of statewide office. I do think there's a potential very very left clear left shift in the legislature, and that's where that's going to be a serious power base for left for the left, and that's where it's been growing and that's real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see big changes with like rent regulation. You see huge changes in in almost every sector of New York City uh, and and New York State because of that big shift in 2018. And next year, when all these Dudes and dudettes are running for election and re-election, 421A, and a lot of the other rent regs are on the table. It's going to be a really interesting session, and we'll see what governor is responding in which ways uh, to what these uh, rising progressives in the legislature are looking to do. It's going to be fun. Uh, Alexis, thank you so much for joining us again. we appreciate it. We appreciate you. Uh, any any closing words you just want to leave our listeners with about what they should be watching right now as all this unfolds? I think if you have a little time, read that 168-page report. It's a gas. I recommend it. And that's it. Summer reading on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to Coney Island. Take it to Coney Island. <laughs> but not to Luna Park, which apparently costs like a million gajillion dollars to get into. I don't know what they're thinking with that. I mean, you know, I have my own opinion that like, you know, it's putting the onus of pandemic recovery on like a demographic that does not have a whole lot of money, which is people that will go to Coney Island as their like big weekend stuff. But anyway, I'll I could go on. Anyway, uh, thank you so much, Alexis. It's great seeing you. Thank you. F-A-Q. F-A-Q NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Journalists, Artists, and Others. Find us at thebrick.house online. We're headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and research at NYU and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan and the Bay Area. A special thank you to our guest, Alexis Grinnell, and to our extraordinary sound engineer, Adam Kamara. Be safe, be good, be kind, be cool. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street.